whether the subject matter happens to be houses, yards, automobiles like you see on the screen, or lives, restoration is happening. Restoration is something that this world has its attention on. Restoration is something that our Father in heaven has his attention on. Today we start a new sermon series, and as you see that picture on the screen, it is titled Restoration. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to the book of Philemon. Might I I state, it's not a very long book. It is a letter, more than likely today we might even call it a postcard or a long tweet. 25 verses. If you turn to the book of Hebrews, you've gone too far. Turn back. You will find the book Philemon. I'm about to read for us these verses and... Before I read them, I want to kind of introduce to you the main characters, maybe give you just a brief background, and then we'll read it. The book of Philemon is all about restoration. Restoration has been something for the past 13 years that this church has been a part of. um, Not August, it was October of 2006. Two groups came together, one in DeSoto County, one in Tunica County, and started on Sunday evenings a Bible study. They were going through the same things. Each one was praying for a new work. November of 2006, I joined the Bible study that was happening in DeSoto County. The one in Tate County, excuse me, in Tunica County, uh, decided that coming north was a little too far, and they went east to one of our mother churches, Life Point. But the group that was in DeSoto County, as we prayed, we were praying for God to start a work. And for that work to be his and for us to be used. And I I will never forget one of the ladies that came along from the start said this about your church, about our church. I just have a feeling that this is going to be a different church. We were talking that night about Longview Point and about Life Point, our two mother churches. And Sherry Fowler stated, this plant is going to be different. And from day one, this plant has been different. We have been different, and I would say every other church is different. But you, we have been about restoration. 
In the 13 years, this Easter will be 13 years, we have had 27 pastors come in and sit who have been hurt. Some of them by themselves, some of them because of churches, but we have had them come and sit, not just on a Sunday, but come and be here for quite some time to be restored. We have had families that had been at odds restored. Marriages at odds restored. Individuals, I look at you right now, restored. It is who we are. This book is all about us. This book was written to a guy named Philemon. But honestly, this book was written to you. Paul, an apostle, wrote this letter to a son of his, Philemon. Philemon was a dear friend of Paul. Philemon was a Christ follower. He was a believer. He now has a church in his house. He is an owner of slaves. And Paul writes to him about one of his slaves. That man's name is Onesimus. Slave. He ran away. He ran away from Philemon. He ran into Paul in prison. And his life was changed. No, his forever was changed. So we have Paul, we have Philemon, we have Onesimus, and we have a number of others that we will see in this book as I read it for us. And as I read it, I need you to do something as I read. Please pick up on the terms used to describe the individuals in the letter. Try to grasp this theme over the next four weeks. We are going to be looking at restoration from this 25-verse letter. We're going to see restoration like we do today, spiritual restoration, that of the individual. We are going to see continual restoration, that of obedience. We're going to see relational restoration between family and friends. We're going to see also, finally, we will see community restoration as we talk about what happened in this city through this letter. So look at the terms as I read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, it's probably um, Philemon's wife, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. 
For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you, my son, for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience. I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also, prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, as we look at these verses today, as we look at this letter, would you speak? Father, would you speak in such a way that compels us to know you, to know you more To bring glory to your name each and every day. Father, this is your time. This is your house. We are your people. We worship you. Would you speak to us from your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Two brief points this morning concerning restoration. Spiritual restoration, though personal, is always connected to others. Spiritual restoration, though personal, is always connected to others. I want to unpack that for us this morning. I want you to to understand what spiritual restoration is. It is personal. And, And what I mean by that is no other person, 
Not, not somebody standing on the stage, not somebody sitting beside you, not somebody that's, that's on the other end of a, of a telephone. No other person can bring about restoration in you. It's between you and God. That's all. But even though that is true, God com- He created you and me for community. He created you and me for relationships with others. And without them, without going below the surface, without going deep into your lives, you and I will not be what he created us to be. And that is spiritually restored. Paul loved the people that he was writing to. Paul loved the people that he was writing about. Paul loved the people that he was working with. And over and over and over and over again in this letter, I stopped at 17. I think that I missed a couple. So almost 20 times Paul describes someone or himself in community in some way, shape, form, or fashion. He said that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's with Christ. He said that he was a co-worker with these people. He was co-working with them. He called somebody a brother. He called somebody a sister. He called somebody a, a father and a son. He was in community with individuals. And without that, there is no true spiritual restoration. But spiritual restoration is... Personal. It happened to Paul. It happened to Philemon. It happened to Aphia. It happened to Archippus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Timothy, Luke, Aristarchus, Demas. It happened to numbers of us as well. And Paul writes concerning restoration. Now you and I just read this and you and I can understand that the main reason that he is writing this is because one guy, Onesimus, is walking back in front of his owner because he ran away from him. And I don't know about you, but I would probably be scared if I was Onesimus. Because in that day, if you ran away from your owner and you got caught, a couple of things would happen, but they would definitively happen. One... You would be put in jail. He's already there. That's where he met Jesus. But he was put in jail. For what reason? We don't know. But he could be put in jail just for running away from Philemon. But now he is out of jail and Paul is sending him back. And so when he gets to Philemon, he could very well be put in chains again for that reason. But also he could be killed. Onesimus has shamed Philemon by leaving. Onesimus has brought shame not just on Philemon, but has brought shame on the whole house in culture. And so because of that, numerous slave owners, once they found the slave, killed the slave. And so I'm sure standing in front of Philemon that day when he hands him that letter, Something along these lines must have happened. Hey, before you do anything to me, number one, before you do anything to me, sorry. 
before you do anything to me, please read all 25 verses multiple times. It's a very short letter. I didn't lose it. Here it is. Please read it and read it again just in case. But I'm here. But in the midst of writing this letter, Paul not only speaks of physical restoration of an owner and a slave, he speaks of spiritual restoration that is just overflowing in these verses. Spiritual restoration is personal. Spiritual restoration ultimately is coming to know Christ not, not about Him, but coming to know Him. To trust Him. To believe Him. Spiritual restoration is the gospel. And here is the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus, the Son of the living God, left heaven's throne, was born into human history in a little town called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. When he was born, there were some 30 years where we don't know him. He is living life, growing up, and we know very little of that. And then suddenly he comes on the scene. Three plus years, he comes forefront out in public and he proclaims the kingdom. He's killed, crucified. He's laid in a tomb for three days. The gospel is that he died for you and me. He arose from the grave. He ascended back to the Father's side. He came, he died, he arose, and he's coming back. That is the gospel. And you and I need to understand the gospel for spiritual restoration. Spiritual restoration happened to Paul outside of a city called Damascus. Spiritual restoration happened to Onesimus in a jail cell beside Paul. Spiritual restoration happened to Philemon and his wife and his son Archippus. More than likely, that's his son. Spiritual restoration has happened in this passage, in this letter. And the same Jesus who provided for Paul and Philemon and Onesimus has provided for you. Salvation. He's provided for you a way to be spiritually restored. He's provided for me and for you to be changed. And it comes through knowing Jesus. Do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? Yesterday, I stood in line at a store, and an aisle over, a lady just started asking the lady who was checking her out if she knew Jesus. Just started asking her. There was a line backed up to the clothing section in the store, and she just she didn't care. Do you know Jesus? Started talking about Jesus. And I just stood there and listened. And she kept talking about Jesus. And she said, do you go to church? And the lady said, no, I don't go to church. She said, you better get in church. I know a good one. She didn't say River Bend. I didn't either. I didn't break in the conversation. But she stated a church name. She said, you need to come. I don't have a right. You need to come. 
we worship Jesus. You need Jesus. It was refreshing as I stood in line longer than I wanted to stand to hear about Jesus. Spiritual restoration is all about Jesus. Do you know him today? He has spiritually restored those who are his. And Paul understood it. He knew there was a change in this man Onesimus. And because of that, he was not afraid to send him to Philemon. Because he knew Philemon. Second point where we need to camp out this morning. Spiritual restoration is not only personal and that it's connected with others, but spiritual restoration takes participation to work. Mm. Here we go, Brian. Spiritual restoration takes participation to work. You know what we're doing this year. We don't have memory verses for the month that just go on the screen before the service and after the service. We have memory verses for the week. And so I picked out two for us, and I'm going to state them today, and you're going to respond by stating them right back. I don't have them broken up into phrases, so let's see how it goes. Philemon, verse 4 and verse 5. I always thank my God. When I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I can do better than that, and I think you can too, so let's try it one more time. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. Philemon 4 and 5. Spiritual restoration takes participation to work. If you look in these verses, he is, Paul is, proclaiming this spiritual restoration to Philemon as he talks about what Philemon has done. I stopped short of verse number 6, but verse number 6 is really where the word participation comes from. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. If you look at all three of those verses and you see them as they are there in that paragraph, you see this, that spiritual restoration has happened to Philemon. Paul has seen it with his eyes. He knows Philemon and then he is just going on and on and on about how this restoration has changed Philemon. How has it changed him? It's changed him because he sees this faith 
that is in Philemon being lived out. He sees this love that Philemon has for the saints that are all around him. He sees it so much that there is now a church in his house. Looking back up in verse number 2, there's a church there in Philemon's house. All the saints see the love and the faith that he has for the Lord Jesus. And because of that, he is participating in faith. Are you participating in faith? Are you participating in this thing called the spiritual journey or the Christian life? Are you participating? Or is it just something on your calendar? Is it just something that if nothing else happens to your calendar, you will be here? Spiritual restoration takes participation. Paul is thankful for Philemon for a number of things. He mentions that his love for the saints and his love for all the saints. And also, he mentions that faith. Look at that for just a second. Paul is thankful for Philemon for his love. What do you think of when you think of love? We're about to go into a month, a couple of weeks from now, we're about to go into a month where it is all about hearts, pink, red, white. It's all about this day that we call Valentine's Day, a day of love. We're about to go into this month that that's what we see over and over and over as we look at Facebook, as we look at our phones, as we look at the computer screen, as we look at the table in front of us that we wake up to. Is that love? It's an aspect of it. A couple of Saturdays ago, I told you that we had a wedding here, and as I was talking to the soon-to-be groom and the soon-to-be bride, I told them this, that love is a choice. It's a choice. Elizabeth Elliot stated it this way when she was confronted by a young man who was about to go into marriage. Elizabeth Elliot, for those that don't know, is the widow. She was the widow of Jim Elliot, who was a missionary in Ecuador and was killed. He and a number of others were killed by this tribe as they were trying to introduce Jesus Christ to them. She went back to that tribe for years and had a flourishing ministry. But she was asked once by a young man about a young lady that he was about to marry. And she said this, you were marrying her because you love her. But today and every day after it, you love her because you married her. Love is work. Love is a choice. Love is action. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. And Paul understood that when he speaks of this love that Philemon had for the saints, when he speaks of the love that he has for the saints, when he speaks to you and me about love, he is speaking of this choice, this action that you and I are to do And you and I are to be a part of for spiritual restoration to come about. 
Are you loving? Are you loving those that are close to you? I don't know about you, but sometimes those are the hardest people to love. Because they know me. They know how terrible I am. They know the attitudes that I have, the words that I say. They know that. And it's hard for them to love me and it's hard for me to love them. For those that we get below the surface with. For those that we allow to see all the warts and the scars and the junk of our lives. It's love. It's not just an emotion. It's an action. It's a choice that you and I must choose. And we must bring it about for this restoration. But not only that, if you look at verse number 6, the translation that I'm preaching out of today, the CSB, states it as participation. The word literally is koinonia. It is the Greek word for fellowship. So if you read it with that word, not stating participation, but you read it with fellowship, I pray that your fellowship in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. One commentator stated it this way, Paul's words, however, depend, speaking about koinonia, fellowship and participation, they depend on the deepest meaning of fellowship. Christians not only belong to one another, but actually become mutually identified, truly rejoicing with the happy and genuinely weeping with the sad. Philemon's participation, the commentator goes on, Philemon's participation in the faith would mean that he also participated in the good things that promoted the cause of Christ. Meaning this, it's easy for you and me to participate in the good things. How often have you walked alongside and participated in the hard things with others? How often, sir? How often, ma'am? Have you allowed others when you were going through the hard things? To allow them to participate with you. Or how often have you said when they asked, hey, how's it going? How are you? They stop you and they say, how's it going? And you say, it's fine. We're good. Everything's okay. And just go about your day. Knowing. Hurt. Empty. Why do we do it? Do, do we think that, that they're just going to run and say, oh, it's terrible, da 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 Brian Tillman is just, if you knew what he was, woo! Let me tell you, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. If you knew, if I knew you, if you knew me, it's worse than that, but we are participating in the faith, in the gospel. Why? Because he has changed us. Because he has covered every sin. Paul understood that for Philemon. He understands that for you and me. Would you and I allow others in? Would we 
ask and participate in the faith with them. So I too make a plea this morning to you. I too make a number of pleas to you. First plea. I plea that you would act today. Look in verse number 8. For this reason, because I know of your participation, verse number 6, because I know of your love for the saints and your faith that you have in the Lord Jesus, verse number 5. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. 2019 statement from a pastor to the flock of sheep that are in front of him. I have boldness in Christ to say, hey, get it right. Hey, come alongside and let's do this. But even more, I appeal to you, not because I stand up here and say it forcefully or not forcefully, because I say it properly or not properly, but I come to you and say, hey, let's do this out of love. Let's do this out of love for a family who desperately needs it. Let's do this out of a a love for a community that is living in darkness. Let's do this. Let us be spiritually restored so that they might see the difference out of love. So there is an appeal for action out of love. Please, today, consider maybe those that are here this, this morning that don't know Jesus as Lord, please consider Him for you. He has provided for you love, acceptance, salvation. Please consider today coming to know Him. Please consider the appeal of spiritual restoration because of love. Please consider keeping a short list of sin and a long list of praise because He has worked. Please consider coming back to God today. As I was writing this, a hymn came to my mind. It was written in 1757, a couple of moons ago, by a man by the name of Robert Robinson. Let me read the verses for us. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. For those that don't know Ebenezer, it's a sign, it's a post. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here, there, by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. 
clothed then in the blood-washed linen. How I'll sing thy wondrous grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransomed soul away. Send thine angels now to carry me to the realms of endless day. Then he closes the song with these words. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Do you feel it when you start to wander? Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Would you today come back to him? Come back to him. Maybe you've wandered for a day. Maybe you've wandered for a week. Maybe you've wandered for 2019. Come back. Now. Maybe you've never known him. Come to him. Participate in the faith. Have fellowship. Invest in others. Allow them into your life. Stop putting up the barrier. Stop putting up the wall. Participate. He's calling you to return, sir. He's calling you for restoration, ma'am. Students, He's calling you to come to Him. What is your response? Father, I love you. Father, I am so thankful for you. God, for changing me. For inviting me in when I was a stranger. When I was an enemy against you, you demonstrated your love for me, for us. God, we can't move forward until the relationship between you, the great I am, the God of the universe, between you and me, between you and us, we can't move forward until it is right. So God, I ask that in this moment of invitation and response, you would speak to our hearts. God, may we know where we stand with you. And if we don't know you, God, we'd quit playing the game. If we do know you, we would quit playing a game because we're yours. And Father, we would choose to love. I would choose to love. I would choose to participate in this fellowship that is your body. Thank you for the example, Lord, of Philemon. For the example of Paul, for Onesimus, for the change that has happened in our lives.
God, may others see that. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. The invitation is not for anybody else in the room except you. It's for you. It's for you to respond. Maybe you respond right where you are. Maybe you respond. You don't even stand up. You just right there. Maybe you respond by coming up front. You respond because he is calling you to himself. He is calling you to restoration. Would you respond? Join us as we sing.